we have a, another special guest with us today. Um, if you guys have been going to Coastline for more than five years, you will recognize this person. But if you're newer, you probably won't. And it's along the same lines as last week with the Word of Oz visiting missionaries uh, to Slovenia. I kind of talked about how it was really fitting as we're going verse by verse through the book of Acts. And we see how Paul, as he goes on his missionary journeys, um, we're on his third missionary journeys in Acts 19. He'd always come back to his home church at the end of each journey and give them a update of what the Lord was doing. And so much the same way, um, we have uh, guests, the Beale family with us today. And it, it's, a, it's yes, it's the same, but it's a little different. And here's the thing. Because they are missionaries that we support as a church. So through your faithful ties and offerings, you fund them to go and tell people about Jesus in the glorious country of Germany. Okay, um, which is awesome. But here's the thing. Paul also, as he was going back and visiting churches, he was the founding pastor of a lot of those churches. Right. He'd go to these places and, and people get saved and he'd disciple them. And then when he felt they were comfortable or they could they could kind of uh, lead themselves He'd move on, but he'd come back to visit them as the founding pastor. And Jason Beale is the founding pastor of this church planted in 1999, right? So 23 years ago, this church got planted, and the Lord's continuing to do this work from the faithfulness for all those years he served here. So I'm going to invite Jason Beale up here, and he's going to share about Germany and share the word with us today. Hey, guys. I'm not going to lie. It's really weird being here today. And actually, it's been a, a way more emotional last couple of days than I anticipated. Just coming back and uh, seeing my son, Caleb, seeing my daughter, Elizabeth, and her husband, and, and then my oldest son, Josh, who's in... The reason we came back to the States, my son, Josh, is um, and his wife are about to have a baby. They're a couple of days past the due date, so he's already a lazy kid, but... So we get to fly to Hawaii in a couple of days and see them. But, um, man, it's what a blessing to be back here. And I'm just trying to hold it together during worship. I think one of the things that we miss the most is just worshiping with other Christians. Never take for granted that you have other Christians around you because it's not the case in most of the world. So, man, let's just pray. My mind's at like a million miles a minute. I got a lot I want to share, but I also want to get into the word because that's more important than anything I can say. So uh, would you guys pray with me, and then I'll, I'll share a few things, and then, um, yeah, we'll just get on with it. So I, I, I was encroaching. Did you see that? I kept creeping towards you guys. I got to, like, stay anchored to this thing, tethered. Lord, thank you so much for this day, and it's just surreal, God, just seeing the faithful men and women, Lord, that have been serving here for so long, and then just having a place to just come and set aside time to worship you. This is priceless. And I pray, God, that um, you do something this morning. You know, nobody came to hear me. Nobody came to hear Chris. We're hungry for Jesus. We need you, Jesus. We need you. And if we don't think we need you, we need you even more. And I just want to pray you to awaken our hearts to what you want to do in our lives afresh. And that, God, you would scrape away all the hard, crusty stuff that is getting in the way of our walk with you. We don't want to play games. Like I used to say all the time in this church, Lord, we're not here to play church. We just want to know Jesus, and we want to go for it, Lord. We want to live for you, and we're weak, and we're broken people, but God, you're so good, and I just want to pray you'd meet us here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
So I'm not going to go into the long story of how we got to Germany. I actually did that last time I was here about a year ago. It's been over a year, a year and three months, honey. Is that right? So Regina Beal, ladies and gentlemen. Caleb Beal, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Um, so it's been a little over a year, and um, we live right smack dab in the middle of Germany. Um, still considered Eastern Germany. We're about three hours from Berlin. We're about one hour from Leipzig, if that means anything to anyone. I live in a farming community in the middle of Germany, totally landlocked. So if you don't think Jesus is real, I'm telling you right now, (laughs) it would only take Jesus to get me there, but he did. And um, it's been a crazy year. I'm not going to lie. It's been a hard year. It's been a great year. It's been a lot of things mixed together. When you think of Europe um, or you think of Germany, like I used to think missionaries to Germany, I mean, do they really need them over there? (laughs) Um, Let me just put it this way. Where we live in Germany is not what you think about when you're like, oh, we should go visit Germany. You're not thinking about where we live. You're thinking about West Germany. We live in the middle of East Germany. And I've had several Germans tell me, do you know that you live in the most atheistic place on the planet? That was their words, not in Europe, not in Germany. They said, you live in the most atheistic place on the planet. And I don't know if that's statistically true. It feels true. And I wouldn't doubt it if it was true. But that gives you a little bit of a um, of a feeling. Guys, it's a, it's a weird place that we live because I live, uh, we live 25 minutes from a, a little village called Eisleben where Martin Luther was born and where he died. We live... Um, not far from Wittenberg. We live in, in, in the hub of the Reformation. There's a church in every single village, and yet we live in the most atheistic place on the planet. One of the, it's like living among an unreached people group, honestly. Where we live, in, it was the GDR up until 1990, the, the German Democratic Republic who was under communism. And so we are, we're living amongst the fruit of, of generations of communism where they teach there is no God and we get to see the fruit of that in um, marriage and children and sex and everything in culture you can imagine when you remove God, which our country is trying to do here. Um, we're like 30, 40, 40 years ahead of you. And you see the result of it. It's, it's a spiritual wasteland. And that's where God sent us. And we're so glad he did. But it's not always easy. Amen, honey? <laughs> and so for the last year, you know, people ask, like, what have you been doing? Um, surviving? Trying to learn the language? You know, people are like, have you started a church? Like, no. Do you have a Bible study? Nope. We pray a lot. We, we are taking the advice of of, of, a, of some really, really saged and really wise missionaries that said, don't do anything for two years. Get there and learn and build relationships and learn the language and assimilate. And, and that's what we've been doing. And um, there's just, you know, yeah, it's just been an interesting transition. When you're almost 50 and you move to a new country and learn a new language, it's a little challenging. And uh, we, like God just hit the reset button on our lives and sent us to a place where nothing is familiar, nothing is easy. I, I can't even order a pizza successfully half the time in German, much less start a Bible study. And so, um, but having said all of that, here's what I, here's really the message that I want to share with you guys is this. God is working. God is at work. 
And that may seem like a God-forsaken spiritual wasteland, and it feels like that sometimes. But I'm going to tell you right now, God is working. And we've been there for over a year, and we pray, and we pray, and we pray, and we seek God, and we look out over the villages and the cities that we're in. Uh, We live in a little village of less than 400 people, but we're about three miles from a city of about 35,000 people. And, And so... Um, We look over these villages, we look over the rolling hills and all these villages in the city, and we say, God, you have to do something here. You have to revive the church. You have to, and God is doing something. God is working. You know, when we first got there, um, you know, we committed to basically saying, we're going to not go with a plan. We moved there not because we had some strategy. We moved there out of obedience because Jesus told us to, period. And we're like, God, whatever's going to happen, if anything good is going to happen here, it's going to be not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. And God has reduced us to absolute dependence upon him in every way you can possibly imagine. So we just pray. We walk the villages, we pray. We go up on the hilltop, we pray. And we pray, and we pray. And the first thing God showed us months ago is that we can't do this by ourselves. People were telling us, you need a team, you need a team, you need a team. But we didn't go with the team, except for us, Team Beal. And, but we prayed, we got there, we're like, dang, I can't do anything. I can't talk to anyone. Um, so God, you, you need to send us a translator. You need to, and you know, what would be great, Lord. If you send us a translator with like a young family, maybe even a kid JJ could play with. And we're just like praying, like going for it. Well, quick story, then I'll get into the word. But so, um, several months ago, we're praying that, and I got invited to speak at this uh, church in West Germany called Calvary Chapel Siegen. If it's kind of the Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa of Europe, if that means anything to anyone. Uh, one of the bigger churches. And um, I got to share there. Two weeks later, I get this random text from this lady. She says, look, uh, my name is Yula. I used to go to the church you spoke at. I actually live in a town called Hala, about 45 minutes from you. I was just doing a little workout, and I had a podcast, and I heard you. And we need to meet you. Me and my husband need to meet you. And so we invited them. It's funny when you hear the story because we're like, who are these people? We'll give them like an hour and a half. We'll just kind of carve out a little time. They, on the way there, were like, this is weird. Let's give them like an hour and a half. They came and they stayed for six hours. And what we realized is they, they speak perfect English. They love Jesus. They feel God stirring their heart. They heard about some Americans that came from Hawaii that wanted to come and like do something in Eastern Germany and they couldn't believe it. And then they wanted to meet us. Long story short, within a month, they moved out of their apartment in Hala and got an apartment about 75 feet from our front door. In the process of them moving, by the way, he speaks perfect English, can translate. They have a little boy named Timmy that JJ can play with. And we have like instant fellowship, which, listen, we didn't have for six months. In the process of that, his best friend who lived in Berlin, married to an American uh, from Miami, they were just going through some spiritually dark places. They came to help with the move. On the second one or third time they were there, they were staying in our guest room and they, they looked across at us at breakfast and they said, well, today we're looking at houses in your village. And they bought a house and they just moved. They're sleeping in our house like right now because they just moved from Berlin to our village. So now we actually have a team. God like imported them from all over like Eastern Germany. We don't know what God's doing, but he is working. We have people that will tell us like God is doing something. Um, our job right now is language school. We go to language school every single day. Deutsche Sprache, Schwersprache. It means German language is a difficult language. <laughs> That's what Germans tell you. Oh, you're taking German. Oh, Deutsche Sprache, Schwersprache. Yeah, I know. And uh, 
so that's our ministry. We have people, you know, every day in our class with people from Iran, Syria, um, Thailand, Vietnam, Mexico, Macedonia, um, Kosovo, um, Ukraine, obviously, and just and we just get to learn with these guys and just shine the love of Jesus to these guys. And I have so many stories of what I'd love to share, but I, this is what I want to say. It's a God-forsaken place, but God is working. God is working. And it's been hard. This last year, I've never struggled with depression in my life. I've never you know, struggled with suicidal thoughts in my life until this year. Because when you, you go into enemy territory, it's, it, can be, it can be hard. And it can be lonely. And it was some dark, dark months for us, you guys. And I just want to thank you for supporting us and thank you for praying for us. And we really feel like God's turning a corner and there's things happening and there's a lot going on. Again, I, I know this is kind of scrambled. I knew it would be, but um, yeah, so it is. So let's, I just want to, you know, say thank you. And, and there's a lot more we can share. We're going to hang out afterwards. We'll just talk and chat with you if you want or answer questions or whatever. I want to personally thank many of you who've sent us messages and prayed for us. I also want to point out the Rashanes over here. You guys pray for these guys. Pray for them. They're stepping out in faith. And guys, it's 20 times harder than you think it's going to be. You've got to pray for them. You know, um, Ian Bounds, the great author on prayer, rightfully said, and I'm paraphrasing, but basically the success of foreign missions depends on the church at home. Praying church at home will make or break what happens in the mission field. Bottom line. So you got to pray for these guys as they're getting ready to go and continue to pray for us. Appreciate that. Okay, so I know this is kind of scrambly rambly, um, but I, I do want to share something from the word, kind of with this thought in mind that God is working, God is moving. And um, I'll try to do this quickly because I know we got kids ministry and it's warm and stuff, but um, we'll keep it to a couple of hours just to keep it on the safe side. I want to share with you from the story of Ezra and um, I know it's a familiar story, and I'm not going to do a real in-depth thing. I'm going to kind of highlight some stuff. I'll read some stuff. Um, but this is the, there's a, something in here I want to point out. Let me just start with giving you a little bit of background. Um, if you're not familiar with the story of Ezra, uh, so this is kind of that time frame where Israel is coming to the end of their exile in, um, in Babylon. Um, Jeremiah had prophesied that after 70 years, God would return them to their land. And that's exactly what's happening. I actually got to switch glasses here so I can read. Some of you guys, by the way, are starting to look old and gray. It's crazy. Um, so anyway, um, this is this is that time frame where they're living um, in this extremely exciting, prophetic time frame where they're literally seeing the fulfillment of prophecies. The 70 years of captivity is up. They're the generation that is supposedly going to go back to Jerusalem, back to Israel. And um, that's exactly what happened. God raises up Cyrus and he gives this decree that they're allowed to go back. And I just want to read to you. So ch check this out. This is Ezra chapter one. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. There it is. Listen to this. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all the kingdom and put it in writing. So did you guys catch that? I want you to catch that word. God stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the secular king. God was working, stirred up his spirit. 
and said, hey, tell them they can go back to their land. So he makes this proclamation. You can go back to your land. Now listen to this. Skipping down to verse 5. Then rose up the heads of the father's house of Judah, Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites. Listen to this phrase. Everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. So God stirs the heart of Cyrus. And then the people hear the proclamation and God begins to stir their heart. And then if you skip over to like chapter two, I don't, I won't necessarily read it or anything right now, but in chapter two, right around verse 64, 65, um, it enumerates the people that went. God stirred up and about 50,000 people said, we'll go back. Now, that sounds like a lot, but it was actually a pretty small remnant of people when you think about it. So 50,000 people said, we'll go. Now, check this out. I'll just kind of tell some of the story. These 50,000 people who God stirred up, Dude, they, they stepped out in an, an amazing, zealous and faith-filled, like, action. Did you guys catch this? They left Babylon. But you say, well, yeah, yeah, they had the promise to go back. But think about this. The majority of these guys were born in Babylon. They had assimilated into Babylon. They dressed like Babylon. They looked like Babylon probably a little bit. Babylon was comfortable for them. That's all they knew. They had only heard stories about the, the ancient city. And there were some old timers there that like remembered, you know, the city and back in the day. And they were, and those guys were sipping out even more faith because now they're super old. But they're like, you know what? It'd be easier to stay. It'd be easier to stay and just, and God wouldn't condemn us. We could stay. We could just be here and, and stay in the land. But God stirred their heart. And they said, no, we live in prophetically significant days. They said, no, I want to be a part of what God is doing. And guys, they left. Do you understand what happened when they left? They left never to come back again. There's no FaceTime. There's no anything. They leave family. They leave friends. They quit jobs. They go on a dangerous three-month journey to a place they've never been, most of them, to live in a dangerous situation where there's no city wall, no protection, to face hard, hard labor to rebuild the temple with no assurances, nothing but the scriptures. They went for it, you guys. That was huge. So kudos to them, amen, for stepping out. They were the small remnant. Most people stayed. So they get there. And as you read on, it's really good. I mean, it's a great read if you haven't read Ezra in a while. Um, they get in chapter three, they, um, they rebuild the, the altar. And the first thing they do is they just start worshiping God. The altar always speaks of worship, right? And when you read it, what's cool is they, they would make, they would put burnt offerings on there. And I, I know that this is maybe all of you guys don't remember this, but a burnt offering was a special offering. It was a voluntary offering and you didn't like put you know, most offerings, you put part of it on the altar for God and you would keep part of it back and you would, you know, have fellowship with God or eat part of it. But the burnt offering, you just put the whole dang animal up on there and let it burn. And what you're saying when you did that was just like this entire animal is committed to you, I'm committing my entire self. It was like this total consecration type sacrifice. They were doing that. They, these guys were off to a great start. And then they rebuilt, uh, I don't know if you remember this, they rebuilt the foundation of the new temple. The temple had been destroyed. So they lay the, the new foundation. At the end of chapter 3, you know, it's, it's kind of a great passage because you have these, these people. They're all worshiping God. And like, yes, God is doing something. Look at, he said we'd be back in the land. We're back in the land. There's the new foundation. 
And it's kind of funny because the old people are crying because they're like, yeah, but it's not like it used to be back in the day. And the new generation's like, God is doing something fresh. Isn't that the way it is, by the way? I'm like, right, I'm tilting towards the old timer stuff now. And I'm like, back in my day, the worship songs were like, this new stuff. And then the younger generation's like, God, all right. And and I'm like, yeah, I guess it's okay. But not like when we were young, God was really moving. Same thing. But the point is, God was moving. God was doing a new work. And, 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 oh, by the way, even though physically that temple wasn't as glorious as the original temple, it was actually prophesied that this one would be more glorious. Why? Because Jesus, when he came, was actually dedicated to that temple. And so his presence was actually there. Side note. Anyways, what happens? Okay, everything's going good. I'm taking way too long. Things are going really good. And then chapter four says this. When the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel, and it goes on, just just that phrase is enough. When the enemies heard that the children of Israel were trying to do something for God, I'm paraphrasing, they got into action. How many of you guys know that when you try to live for God, when you try to do something for the kingdom of God, there's going to be opposition? You know, one of the things that Regina and I noticed when we got to... Um, Eastern Germany, and I don't say this lightly because I think it's kind of like cliche almost, but you can feel it. You can feel it. And we looked at each other and we're like, we cannot take a day off from our marriage. We have to pray for each other every day. And we have to, we have to be walking with the Lord every day because the enemy will pick us off if, he, if we don't. You know, we, we had the opportunity to do an Easter service. We don't have a church. But um, we're like, we should do something for Easter. Our, our friend uh, Karsten and, and his wife Yula had just moved from Hala. And we're like, I got a translator. I bet you some people would show up. So we just said, hey, let's, put, let's do a little place. And there's this little community center in our, in our village. And um, um, the guy let us use it for free. We're like, oh, cool. So we're like, I have no idea who's going to come. You know, people don't really do this. It's like 2 in the afternoon on Easter. We didn't want to conflict with, the, with like the traditional church service in our, in our village. We didn't want to create competition or anything 35 people showed up but you know what leading up to that morning where i was going to preach the gospel and by the way in easter service here everybody's a christian right they're like 85 percent of them don't know jesus but they came to an easter service and you know um leading up to that my son had demonic dreams he's six years old that excuse me that makes me angry when the enemy goes after my six-year-old we had, my wife got so sick the day before she couldn't even go to the service. Like, I'm not a demon under every rock kind of guy. But I'm telling you, when you try to step out and do something for Jesus, when you go into the territory that Satan has been squatting on for that long, he's angry. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And you know what? Those who have sat in darkness have seen a great light. And that place that we're in is, is in darkness. And yet Jesus picked a couple of nobody scrubs and said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to move you enough resting time on Kauai. I'm going to move you. I'm moving you straight into the battle again. And um, it's real. And that's what happened to these guys. They, they got bombarded with opposition. It's really interesting when you look at how, it, like here's some of the words that it uses. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah, made them afraid. They bribed counselors. They frustrated their purposes. Does that ring a bell when you're trying to live for the Lord? Fear, frustration. And 
And, and these guys, man, they're just, they're trying to do a good thing. God, we're working for you. We're building the thing. And all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. They get their permits pulled. Like, nothing's happening. They're, like, writing these official letters. Finally, what happens, as you get to the end of chapter 4, an official letter is written, sent back to Persia. And another letter comes back and says, cease and desist. No more building. You can't build anymore. So the last verse of chapter 4 um, says this. It says, then the work of the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped. And it stopped until the second year of the reign of Darius. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the sons of Edo, prophesied to the Jews when they were in Judah and Jerusalem. And it goes on to say um, they were with them, supporting them. Now that reads really cool, but here's what you don't know. You have to read in between the lines and do a little math. The work stopped for 15 years. 15 years. Finally, what happened was God raised up two prophets, a guy named Haggai and a guy named Zechariah. And you can read their, uh, in fact, we'll turn to Haggai in a minute or you can listen or whatever. But um, he sent these two prophets to kind of get them going again. God never told him to stop working. They just stopped because the opposition was hard. But God never told him to stop and he still wanted to do his work. But for 15 years, it got stalled out. And so he sent Zechariah, he sends Haggai. They each have a very unique message that they brought. And I don't want to go totally into that. But, but I will focus a little bit on Haggai because he gives us a clue as to what was happening in that 15 years. Please don't lose me here. What was going on in that 15 years? Well, they stopped working on the house of the Lord. But they started working on their own houses. Which, is, I mean, in and of itself, that's not a bad thing. You, you, you need a place to live. But there's these little nuances, these little hints in the text. He would say, like, you say there's no time to work. It's not the right time to work on the house of the Lord. Yet you're living in your paneled houses, not just houses, paneled houses. The idea there is above and beyond luxurious. They had misplaced their priorities. You see, what happened was when they stopped building on the things of the Lord, the pressure came off. The persecution stopped. It was easier. And the zeal and the faith and the passion got replaced with comfort and ease and what's logical and wise and appropriate not bad things guys it wasn't a bad thing they were doing but it took too high of a priority and they lost their focus so god sends haggai and haggai's message in a nutshell was this consider your ways that phrase you'll read it over and again consider mike slivkoff what's up man late as always man just kidding dude <laughs> Consider your ways. That was his message. Consider your ways. The word consider means literally, if you look it up in the Hebrew, the word consider means to stand, to like exhibit something. And the idea there is just hold it up and take a really good look at it. Just an honest look. God wasn't mad at him. God wasn't, you know, he wasn't like scolding him. He was just being, he's just being gut level with him. Hey, guys, take a look at what you're doing. Take a look at your priorities. And so basically what Haggai said is, look, you say it's not time to work on the the Lord's house, but you're building your own houses and you've got your own things going. Hey, and by the way, did you notice you're harvesting, but you never have enough? You're eating, but you're never full. You've got money, but it's like putting money into pockets with holes in it. And God said, basically, I'm doing that. I'm doing that to you. He let them feel that dissatisfaction. Why? Because God's mean and he needs workers? No. Yes, God wanted to finish the work, but God was saying, I want my kids to have their heart 
engaged again into the things of the Lord. And what you're doing, you think is going to bring satisfaction. It's easier and all of that, but it's actually dissatisfying and empty. It's the New Testament equivalent of seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you. It's not like those things were bad. They had just taken too high of a priority. Does that make sense? We can do that. We do that easily. You can make your kids your priority. You can make ministry. You know, that's one of the biggest lessons. I'll just be really honest. I got nothing to lose here. When I left Coastline five years ago or whatever it was, I wasn't healthy. I wasn't real healthy spiritually. I was pretty burnt. It's not your fault. It's my fault. I was just tired. And it was so easy just to always do ministry, 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 ministry. And I wasn't really all that in a great place. I about had a nervous breakdown, you guys. Nobody really knew that. You can put good things too high and it hurts you and it hurts your family. And God says, consider your ways. And the great thing is they did. I'm almost done. You know what it means when a pastor looks at his watch? Nothing. Okay, so I'm almost done kind of in a really roundabout allegorical kind of way. Um, so what happened was they did. To their credit, man, these guys are like, you know what? You're right, Haggai. You're right, dude. And it says, um, it says in verse 12 of chapter 1, they obeyed. It says they obeyed. They went up, they cut down timbers, and they just got themselves back to work. Now, check this out. I love this. This is at the end of chapter 1 of Haggai 1, if you want to jot it down or try to find it real quick. It says, Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord, listen, stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, the governor of Judah, the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all of the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts. And in the 24th day, it goes on. It goes on. But here's what I want to point out. They got the message from Haggai. They're like, you're right, bro. And they went up and they got the stuff and they got back to work. It says they obeyed. And then it's, what does it say? God stirred up the same exact word from Haggai chapter, or excuse me, Ezra 1, where it says they stirred up the heart. Well, here they are stirred again. Do you know who these people are? The same people. 15 plus years later. Listen, don't lose me here. 15 plus years later, they needed re-stirred. Some of you need re-stirred. God is doing a work. See, here's my message. God is doing a work. We live in prophetically significant times. If you can't see the handwriting on the wall, you're either ignorant or willingly ignorant of the word of God. Jesus' return is soon. And even if he's not, we live in crazy, wicked days and life is short. We live in significant times. And God's doing a work. And I believe God is stirring people's hearts today. Not because he just needs workers. He's not like some contractor is just ticked off that he can't get enough guys on the job site. That's not God. Like he can do anything he wants. He wants to include you in what he's doing because you know what? There's something bigger than you and your life and my life and my little thing. And God knows that. And he says, you can live for yourself all you want and it will be empty and dry and lame. Or you can get on board with what I'm doing and experience real life. Well, it's going to be harder. But he's stirring. I believe here's what's happening. We live in the same kind of prophetically significant times, even more so. God is working and he's stirring the heart of some of you guys right now. He's stirring up hearts for the first time. Like the first group 15 years earlier, he's stirring up hearts when they were younger. Like, oh, and I believe he wants to re-stir 
some of us here today. You know, we naturally settle, right? Like, I'm trying to think, I can't think of a good analogy for like paint, I guess. I don't know. Paint settles. Lemonade? I can't think of a good, you know, I can't, salad dressing? I can't think of a good analogy, but once in a while, you got to stick the spoon in and you got to stir it up because everything just settles down to its comfortable little state. And that's what we do, and God knows it. And He's like, I need to stir some of you guys up. God, it, some, some are, are stirred right now. In fact, um, I mentioned I got to speak at that church in Zegan. Um, a couple months ago, I got invited back to speak at a really big conference. And it was the first time they did this conference since COVID. It was maxed out. It was like four or 500 people there from churches all over. And I got to share this message. And Regina and I were, were there. And we sat down. And we didn't know it. We sat down in the youth section, like the 18 through 20-somethings. And, and we sat down there. And I went to worship. And I was a little ticked because I couldn't hear my voice. Because these young bucks and these young buckets, does. Anyways, these young kids were just worshiping their brains out. And after the service, we had time for prayer. And so many of them came up and just wanted to be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they're like, hey, I know it's, uh, they found out where we were staying at the host family. And they were like, hey, can we invite some of our friends over? We had like 20, 30 kids, like from 18 to 23, who just wanted to talk to us about prayer and about serving God until midnight. And they're like, where are you, Sangerhausen? We've heard of the East. It's crazy. Can we come and evangelize? These are 18 to 23-year-olds. So a few weeks ago, we had our first group, about six youth, who said, well, camp in your backyard. We just want to, and I said, well, we don't have a church. We don't have anything. But I'll tell you what, let's just walk around and pray for our city. They're like, yeah, we'll do that. So they brought tracks. And they prayed and they passed out some tracks and we prayed over our city and we worshiped. And then we went and did like a little makeshift like church service in a park, which is completely unheard of where we live. And my point is this, like I had several of these youth say to me, and I, one guy in particular, he's 23, he's got a degree as an engineer. He's got a bright, bright future. And he says, I don't want to waste my life sitting behind a desk. If that's what God calls me to do, I will do it. But the time is short and I want to live for Jesus. It's like music to my ears. God is stirring in their hearts. I'm just bragging Jesus what he's doing. And so I think the same thing's happening as some of you guys. Right now, there's something in you, and it may be one or two. I don't think it's everybody here. But there might be some of you young men, young women, maybe old men, old women. But for the first time, you're stirred up, and you're like, you know what? God's doing something in me, and I can't do this. I can't just survive. I can't just live for me. I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. And it's the kingdom of God. And again, can I, I really want to emphasize this. It's not that God just needs workers and people to be busy. Do you understand that? That's not how God operates. He's about relationship and he wants to draw you to himself. He's stirring you up maybe to do something, sure. But he's stirring you up to come closer to him. And there's some of you that are stirred up right now. What do I do with that? I'll get there in a second. There's others of us who need to be re-stirred. Because I can say this. I was the pastor of this church. I can come back whenever I want. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> my, my thing has been revoked. No, you can't. Um, um, but you know what? I know what it's like. I, I've been walking with the Lord since I was, well, I've been a Christian since I was 10. I've been walking with the Lord off and on since I was 17. And I know what it's like to get settled in. And I know what it's like to, to need the Lord to stir me up again. And some of you guys, you got great testimonies from 15 years ago. Cool. What about right now? Are you more in love with Jesus than you were 15 years ago? 
Are you more zealous? Are you, do you trust him more because you know his word better? Or has it just become so familiar that it's just you go through the motions? I'm not trying to like be a jerk about it or condemn you. And I don't think God is like saying this to you in an angry way. He knows our nature. He knows we settle. He needs to put the spoon in and stir it up. And I want to remind some of you who have the 15-year-old testimony, which is great. But hey, God wants to stir you up afresh today because God's working. And there's, you don't have to go to Germany. You don't have to go to Israel. You don't have to go to some other land. Um, I've been hanging out in Astoria for the last couple of days. Seems to me that there's still a lot of work to be done. People need Jesus here. And then more importantly, you need Jesus. You need more of him. Yeah, but I've been hurt. Yeah, but it was harder. I know. Yeah, but Christians are so, I know, we're idiots. And we, 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 we shoot our wounded and we make a lot of mistakes. But that doesn't change Jesus. And we can think of a hundred million excuses. But the bottom line is, God wants to restore your heart. And I noticed this this morning. I was driving and this just popped into my head. I'd never seen this before. It says in chapter one of Haggai that they obeyed. They got the message and they obeyed and they started building. And then it says God stirred their hearts. Hey, notice that. Sometimes you got to obey before you feel the stirring. A lot of times we're sitting you know, arms crossed, we'll all get moving once God stirs my heart. Maybe you just need to start obeying a little bit. And then maybe God will stir your heart. Maybe just go do what he said to do. Maybe start serving again. Maybe just start pressing in. Do the things you already know to do, but just say, you know what? Screw my feelings. I'm just going to obey and I'm going to go for it. And guess what will happen? So often after you obey, God starts stirring it up. God wants to re-stir some of you guys. You're not too old. Oh, I don't know if I could sell everything and move to the mission field. He's probably not calling you to do that. Again, this isn't about just getting you busy. That's not it. It's about bringing you back into a closeness with him. That's what he's stirring you up to do. The busyness will come. I mean, there's things to do for the kingdom. Heck yeah. Is God re-stirring you, some of you guys? Examine your ways. Consider your ways. This is uncomfortable, Jason. Praise God. Praise God if it's uncomfortable because we're running out of time and every time that clock ticks, people are dying and slipping into eternity without Jesus. Sometimes we pray over our village and we realize the thought comes into our head. We may be the first people in the history of these people's lives that prayed for them. There's kids running all around our village who have never heard the story of creation. Interested in children's ministry? We got an opening. I live and we live in the land of the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. That's where I live. But so do you. Okay, now I'm just rambling. But here's what I want to do. I want to invite the worship team guys. Come on up. I'm out of practice. I haven't done this well. Here's what I want to do. I want to call you out a little bit. I want to ask you this. Number one, is God stirring your heart? Maybe for the first time you're like, man, I don't know what it is, but I just, I want more of God and I'm sick of Insta everything in my culture and social this and that. And I just want what's real. And I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. And if maybe God's stirring you up and you don't have to know what it is that he's stirring you to. Or maybe you're the guy that says, or the woman that says, yeah, I was on fire 20 years ago, but now I just go to church. That's lame. And maybe you're like, I don't even... I'm not restirred, but I want to be restirred. Put the spoon in, God. Stir me up. If that, if you are in either one of those categories, I want you to stand up right now. And please, 
I don't care if it feels uncomfortable. If you can't stand up at church where people love you and are supporting you, you can't stand up in the world. If God is stirring your heart, I want you to respond to it. Don't let that slip away. Well, I've sinned so much in the past. Praise God, the blood of Jesus has washed you white as snow and he uses fools and broken idiots like me. He can use you. Praise God that you guys have the courage to stand up. That is awesome. I want to pray for you guys. And then I want you to do whatever you think you need to do. If you need to get alone, get alone and go get alone after you get your kids out of kids care. But then get alone with Jesus. And then and then if you need to prayer, you go see a prayer person. I used to say, why isn't there lines coming off of the prayer people? You have an opportunity for someone to pray with you and you don't take it. That's crazy sauce. So here's what we do. I want to, I want us to pray. I want us to pray. The Holy Spirit is stirring some of your hearts. And he's saying, come back to me. I'm scared. I've been hurt. This is that. This is the, it's harder. Yes, all of the above. But Jesus hasn't changed. And he loves you. And he's not mad at you. He's not frustrated with you. He's just calling you back. Amen. Lord, I'm certainly no Haggai or Zechariah. But they're just guys that you used. And I'm just a guy. And you could even use me, Lord, to speak. And I pray that if you're speaking to any of my friends here and stirring their heart, I pray right now, God, they would just be real and respond and come with all of their fears and all of their doubts and all of their troubles or whatever and failures even. And just lay those at your feet and say, God, I don't know what it is you're wanting me to do. I don't know what it is exactly, but I just can't stay in the same place. I need you. You're stirring something in me. It's, it's agitated. And, and I, 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 I'm not going to find peace or rest until I come to you. And you got to settle this in me. Lord, who are you calling me to be? What are you calling me to do? I feel like the Holy Spirit is whispering into my heart right now that some of you are holding back because you're not fully surrendered in your job. You you are wanting to still control your finances. And and, and that's a good thing. Finances are a good thing. But you got to let go of that and let the Holy Spirit be your provider. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart right now, you guys. Cry out to him. Just tell him what you're thinking. I'm stirred up. I don't even know what this all means, but I just need more of you, Jesus. Do something in my life. So Father, I commit these guys to you. We need you. We love you. The time is short and you're coming back and we're nobodies and nothings and we can't do anything without you, but through you, we can do all things. So God, you've got to do something or else people are going to perish forever. And God, thanks that you let us come into your work and, and participate with you. Lord, you got to do all of the work. And we just say, here we are, send us. God, we want to live for you. I pray you would heal the wounded and broken and hurt that have were stirred up 20 years ago, but Lord, something went wrong. And I pray, God, you'd stir them up again. I pray for those who are stirring for the first time and saying, what is this? I pray we would all just respond by throwing our hands up in the air and saying, God, here we are. We love you. If you died on the cross for us, we know you got good stuff for us, Jesus. We give it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Not really add on, but go along with that. There was a word given at the uh, conference that we went to that started out as a word I sensed the Lord gave me specifically for a brother for some things in his life that it seemed like the Lord was asking him to do, but he was kind of making up excuses why he couldn't do them. 
And the Lord told me to tell him that as soon as you stop saying, I can't, then I will. And it turned into a word that he felt led to give to all the leaders, all the pastors at that conference. And as Jason was talking, I just sensed that the Lord was telling me that's a word for people here today. Because so it's so easy. Like, I mean, I can I, I do this. I'm all about talking myself into why I can't do what the Lord's telling me to do. Oh, that's foolish. You know, oh, I'll look like a fool. Or, you know, that person doesn't want to hear about Jesus. Or, you know, like I struggle with anger with my kids. And it's just something I've struggled with my whole Christian walk. And I'm never going to get over it. You know, whatever it might be. We're really good at talking ourselves into why we shouldn't or why we can't obey God. And it is very true that in your own power, you wouldn't be able to obey God. But where is what is impossible with man is very possible with him. And he's not asking you to do it in your own power or might. He's asking you to do it by the power of his Holy Spirit. And as soon as you're willing to partner with him, as soon as in faith you're willing to say, Lord, help me do what you say, he'll do it. And you'll get to experience the fullness of God in your life that you haven't seen before just because you're willing to listen and trust him. And I think there's, or I know there's some of you right now that the Holy Spirit's telling you what that thing is. You know it. And you need to just give it to God. And you need to say, I, I, Lord, help me. You say I can do it and I trust you and I'll do it. And he will. Some of you might need to just remember that. Remember that phrase. As soon as you stop saying, I can't, the Lord says he will. And take that with you and pray over it for what that means in your walk with the Lord. Amen. But like Jason said, this is the opportunity right now to respond. Don't walk away and say, I'm going to do this later. Right now, the Lord wants to do work in us. He wants to conform us even more to the image of his son. Let him do it couple things i want to do to close just one because i'm getting questions about this if you guys saw online i got baptized at the end of that leadership retreat and i just want to clear the air on why i did that because i'm asking people are like why why'd you get rebaptized or whatnot did you you know fall away from the lord <laughs> did you have some grievous sin that's not why um and and just honestly i had no intention of getting baptized there was this response time to close and I'm sitting there thinking, oh, wow, this is great. The Lord didn't call me up to give a word of prophecy or anything. I don't have to make a fool of myself because that's always scary, you know, like when the Lord's telling you to do something and you don't know if it's him. And as soon as I said that, all of a sudden, the Lord's like, you're going to go get baptized. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, Lord, I'm a pastor. I'm like, I, I don't need to get baptized. I'm like, why would I get baptized? And the whole conference, it was just, it felt like wave after wave of the Holy Spirit just coming upon me. I, just filling me afresh. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, how um, the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, when Paul comes to Ephesus and he sees these believers, and he's like, have you been baptized with the, the Spirit, you know? And what that is, he's talking in the active present of like how we constantly need to be filled with God's Spirit to be used by him because we can't do anything apart from him, Right. And so we're always wanting that. We're always surrendered so he can fill us with the spirit and do what he wants. And I just sense the Lord, much like even Jesus, like when his ministry went from being private to public, he got 
baptized, right? The Holy Spirit came upon him and it shifted this transition in his ministry. I felt the Lord was saying like, this is going to be a shift where you're going to need a, a greater filling, a fresh filling of the Spirit for what I'm about to do. And then later on, a sister in the Lord told me that when I was getting baptized, she saw a vision. And that it wasn't me there getting baptized. It was our church getting baptized with the Holy Spirit, a fresh baptism, because God has even greater things to do. Amen. And what she didn't know was that there was this dear brother who's planting a church in downtown Portland. Pray, pray for Stephen Cameron, young guy on fire for the Lord. But during the response time the night before, he came up to me. He's like, I don't know you. This may sound weird. But the Lord told me, you be ready because revival is coming. And I see evidence of it already. It's like a fire that just keeps burning hotter and hotter. And every single one of you are supposed to be the coals that are being stoked in that fire. Because God has work for you to do in the power of the spirit. Amen. Amen. I wanted to share that word with you because it's specifically for you guys. And then before we finish, I want Jason to come up. And Regina's left. So we'll, we'll pray from her for this. If she's here, she can come up too. She's got JJ. She can bring him. But we got, we got to pray for these guys. And here's, I'm going to challenge you guys with something. Exhortation. All right. Cause it convicted me, like when he was sharing about like the, the, the missions being successful by prayer. I pray for these guys every week, all our missionaries. I got them in my prayer journal. So I reminded to do that. But I was convicted because I'm like, man, I need to be praying for these guys daily. So I'm going to ask you guys, would you commit to praying for them? Would you commit to praying for the word of Oz? Would you commit to praying for our missionaries daily? It doesn't have to be a long prayer. I mean, if you want to, it might only be a minute long, but just petition God on their behalf. Because I really believe what he's saying. I've seen the power of prayer in my own life. I've seen the necessity of it. And I really feel that our prayers are what's going to make the biggest difference for them over there as they faithfully serve the Lord. Amen? All right. So I'm going to start praying. I, I, they'll, I, I pray long, so they'll probably be here before I finish. If not, the Lord hears it. So let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, oh, we lift up the the Beal family. We thank you for them so much. Thank you for that faithful testimony of what you're doing over there. We see evidence of that work. We see the fruit and we know you're building your church in that place that is highly unchurched, that needs to know the love of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for calling them into that place and for their faithfulness and going. And thank you for allowing us to be a part of that great work through our prayers and through our financial support, through our encouragement to them, Lord. And we want to be faithful as their brothers and sisters in Christ, as their fellow partners coming from the same church to continue to lift these guys up daily, Lord knowing that you not only hear our prayers, but you will answer them when they're in accordance with your will. And we know you want nothing more than to do a great work through these guys over in that place. So we can be confident you're going to answer our prayers, Lord. So we lift these guys up as they make their, their way up here. Just pray over you guys really quick. And we pray the rest of their time here as a family is a refreshing time. Um, so that they go back fueled and on fire and ready to serve you, Lord, with zeal. 
And um, Lord, just have, may it be a sweet time with their son as, as, as we're looking older, but he's definitely getting older. He's a grand, going to be a grandfather. So just bless that baby. Bless Josh's wife. Keep them safe. Let them have sweet time over there, Lord, with them and the rest of their family while they're here. And Father, again, just bring them to remembrance in our minds often, daily. I mean, even if we have to write it down. So we lift these guys up faithfully, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.